Bonsoir à tous. Guten Abend und alle. Buonasera a tutti. This is a, a, a joint uh, event which has been uh, uh, prepared, discussed, launched by the, the three chapters of, uh, of the, um, of the um, European Union of Federalists in uh, Frankfurt, uh, in Milan, in Lyon, but we have also friends from other uh, European, European towns, of course, I see, I, I see Torino here, but there are probably also, also, also others, and of course, an actor of, from, from, from Brussels. Um, for you to know, uh, Frankfurt, uh, Lyon and uh, uh, Milano uh, have frequent contacts. Uh, we, had, uh, uh, we have been uh, meeting uh, since months, almost every uh, every three uh, three weeks, uh, we're discussing developments, trying to prepare events like this one. This is the second we have prepared jointly, and we have also uh, a plan to to continue. The idea is to bring in together friends from towns which uh, which are partner towns, and to create in this way a community of federalists which is present at the territory, but in the same way also uh, present uh, at European at the European level. And I would like really to thank uh, Klaus, uh, Paolo, Luc, uh, and Noé for, for the support for this uh, initiative. Uh, Noé, by the way, at the end of, uh, of, uh, of this uh, evening, will present the next one, which is uh, in December. I am uh, super happy to have a, a good friend and colleague uh, with me, Johannes Linder. We have been chatting a lot about Europe for years in the corridors of the different buildings of the European Central Bank. Of course, we are not today, this evening, as, uh, as uh, central bankers there, uh, but uh, as passionate Europeans. I've been asked, Johannes, to, to, to give us an input on a, a, a question uh, which is of interest to, to everybody. So where is the, the, the German um, uh, EU policy going? And is there... Uh, a, a, a German EU policy. Of course, this coalition started uh, for us with a very strong statement on uh, the need to create a European uh, federation. We were, of course, absolutely uh, astonished by the courage uh, of, uh, of this statement. Uh, and, and now there are a lot of problems coming. And if you listen to the press, uh, there is even uh, not only a fatigue, but even a, a, a problem between France, uh, France and Germany, or Germany and France. Uh, and so I would like to give the floor to you, uh, Johannes. Uh, let us know what are your views, and then we will organize the discussion in a way that I hope it will be free and fluent, and I would really encourage everybody, everybody to, to speak. So, Johannes, many, many thanks, and you have the floor. Super. No, Francesco, thank you very much. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. And uh, let me say why I'm glad to be here with you tonight for three reasons. The first is that I really like this concept of, uh, of twin towns. And I grew up in Frankfurt and, uh, when you grew, uh, and, and, and in my childhood and youth, I was also quite involved in the cooperation with the Twin Towns. So I myself involved in organizing a youth meeting between, at the time was Lyon, 
Birmingham and Milano. And it was, uh, so I think this concept of twin towns and seeing now friends from, from Lyon and uh, Milan is, I think, is very nice. My, the second point is that on the Europe, uh, on the Europa Union, I have to confess that my wife and I met both as young federalists at a event uh, next to the European Council meeting where we were uh, both demonstrating and falling in love with each other. So I have a, a bias and a sympathy towards your, uh, your organization, I have to admit. And early on, um, I mean, I have to admit that quickly we moved away from discussing Spinelli to other tasks. <laughs> so, but at least the, the bond on Europe stayed with us. And finally, Francesco, you already mentioned this. I think the two of us, we go a long way. I, I've been myself uh, for 20 years at the ECB. And uh, when I uh, bid my farewell also to Francesco, uh, he, he didn't, it didn't take him long to then send an email and saying, look, by the way, uh, when, you, um, when you have time, maybe come to us, we do this event and maybe you can explain to us Berlin. Because one, the motivation uh, to leave the ECB was that uh, I was interested in taking up a position uh, at the Jacques Delors Center as a co-director. It's a research center at the Hattie School together with a think tank. I'm running the think tank or policy part of the center. And it tries to inform the debate in Berlin uh, on European Union matters. I'm also the uh, teaching at Hattie School and have a, uh, uh, I'm the first Henrik Enderlein Fellow. Some of you may know Henrik, uh, European, um, that, uh, that uh, unfortunately uh, died last, last year. And in the memory and honor of him, we have this fellowship. So with this, let me start uh, on, on what I wanted to, um, to basically uh, uh, say tonight. As Francesco has said, of course, the coalition agreement has this passus linked to the potential of a, of a, of a convention and an IGC, uh, that, uh, that passus that's saying the Weiterentwicklung zu einem föderalen europäischen Bundesstaat. So a quite sort of almost federalist, uh, uh, federalist passus. Of course, it's qualified already in the coalition agreement. But uh, it did, in fact, give the impression that there was a quite a, at least a longer term focus on, on uh, a, federal, a federal Europe. And the signing of the coalition agreement is, is, is almost to the day one year ago. So in that respect, it's a good, good moment, um, a good moment uh, to, to reflect. And the, 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 the second kind of point where you could have expected in a way a further push towards Europe was at the, uh, was shortly after the Russian invasion to Ukraine. There was a very important speech, as you know, by, uh, by Chancellor Scholz, where he was speaking of the Zeitenwender. So a turning point, which a speech that also included some strong European language. So against this coalition agreement, Zeitenwender speech, there is a sort of sense of disappointment um, and the sort of probably low point in that reflect was hit at the end of October when um, the uh, planned ministerial council between the French government and the German government uh, was cancelled uh, and also in the same month uh, we had the European Council on Energy that was very divisive. So there are observers saying look where is this European ambition uh, gone? 
and what are the the, the reasons for why um, why Europe why Germany is not presenting a more ambitious uh, European agenda? I mean, mind you, there has been in the meantime. Uh, especially on the Franco-German side, quite a bit of making up. So you had a lot of meetings just the last three days, for example, between Lindner and Habeck, Lindner Le Maire, Baerbock Colonna, even Baerbock Macron today, uh, Scholz and Born. So there is, I think that's why I said there's been a, probably the low point in October. But still, the question holds, what are the, um, what, what is the reason why we, we're not seeing kind of a more ambitious uh, European agenda, what we've seen as a, as a less ambitious European agenda than what maybe we could have expected following the coalition uh, agreement. I think I want to make three points. The first is, um, uh, the first is uh, that, uh, that the, the German economic model is under pressure and that provides for an opportunity for more European integration. Uh, the second point is, uh, that this pressure, uh, this pressure does not come from a singular crisis, but we are really facing a poly crisis. Um, so, and that means, of course, that there is a really a lot of complexity as a result of it, and that there is no really easy solution. So that's the sort of second point. And the third point, there are, in addition to the complexity, a number of factors. If you zoom in to domestic politics in Germany and EU dynamics, that explains. Uh, some of the the, the the policy outcomes and policy discussions that we see currently in Brussels and Berlin. So let me zoom in a bit more and uh, on the first point. So the first point was was the the question of the German model. Um, and to a certain extent, uh, this speech of Scholz, where he, he spoke about the turning point, did pick this up. Uh, but it is not only that turning point that made the pressure on the German model uh, evident. And you can summarize and characterize it uh, maybe a bit uh, crudely uh, with the following points. So Germany was relying on security on the US, uh, on energy and resources from Russia, on trade and export from China. Uh, and mind you, that was also the, the notion in that respect that uh, basically global trade, free trade was natural and that Germany could benefit from, from or could develop high surpluses and that these surpluses were nothing than the product of competitiveness and therefore uh, for the better and the good of all. And then lastly, sort of uh, that stabilization, low interest rates, low uh, exchange raises, uh, rates would be generated and guaranteed um, by the European Central Bank including the sort of risk sharing that came with it. So in a sort of, as I said, in a characterization, you could say these were the pillars uh, or, or elements, uh, key elements of, of the German model. And I think this model is under pressure and, uh, and has to be reset. And in a way, this, this reset would provide itself for a more of a European solution. So. In a, you could you could see opportunities for thinking security more in a European context. You uh, clearly uh, uh, could see that with uh, energy not dependence uh, needing to shift uh, to have European solutions in terms of green deal and renewable energies, or in terms of common purchases. You could see that um, the dependency on China and the idea that 
global free trade is uh, is is sort of given uh, will need to be replaced with more of a strategic uh, perspective in the in the idea of a strategic autonomy that that uh, finds solution much more within the single market than than exclusively uh, uh, on the global scale. And finally, um, the idea that some of the some of the low interest rates and the risk sharing uh, going via monetary policy would need to be replaced by fiscal uh, integration would allow for maybe further moves into the fiscal union. So in that respect, there is an opportunity by rethinking the German model, by reframing the German model that would allow for more uh, uh, integration steps. My second point is, is, but what are the pressure points that are now um, uh, that are now uh, putting put it, are now putting pressure on on the on the uh, German economic model? And here, I'm maybe a little bit uh, abstract, but I still find it uh, useful. And I, allow me to to borrow here from a economic historian uh, that is uh, who is who is teaching at Columbia University in in the U.S. and is Adam Tools. And Adam too speaks of the poly crisis, uh, and the poly crisis wants to exp- once has as sort of three elements. The first is that it says basically what we are facing is not just a singular crisis, but is a crisis that is compound of individual crises, and that the, com- the the combination between these crises actually makes a bigger effect than just the sum of the individual crisis. And this is not something that is new through the Ukraine war. It's actually something that's been built up. Uh, and that he says that, at, uh, uh, especially since the financial crisis, so since 2008, we have seen a sort of an, an exception, exponential uh, increase in the density of crises uh, with the pandemic. Uh, before with the migration crisis, with uh, the public debt crisis, now we have a, a war. So, so in a way, uh, the complexity has, has massively increased. And the complexity also means that there is no singular solution. In a way, the answers that politics has to give is much more complex and much more difficult than before, which also means that, in a way, the sort of easy solutions or just more Europe or um, more market uh, that some thought would be the solution in the, especially in the 80s and 90s, this is not anymore that easy to, 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 to ad- adopt. So, and, and, and you need to sort of think more in complex solutions and it's, it's, it's maybe easier to get it wrong. Um, so this is, this is in a way this, the, the frame that he provides, which I find, find useful to, to also gorge the, the challenge that, uh, that, that uh, policymakers are facing at the, at the moment. And coincidentally, it's funny because he takes the, the idea of polycrisis from Juncker. So <laughs> Juncker was the one that uh, at the height of the mi- migration crisis, so at the financial crisis, turning public debt crisis into migration crisis, spoke, of, of, spoke already of the, of the polycrisis. My third point is to, uh, to, and here I'm happy to take this up and it's probably the gist of where we get then into the discussions. My third point is, so what are the factors that are complicating or not complicating that are now determinants on whether uh, Germany is taking a poor European stance or less European stance? And here I want to, um, I want to zoom in uh, into a couple of points. Uh, first, the policy fields, then Scholz himself, 
the coalition he faces, the Franco-German relations and the dynamics within the EU institutions. So let me quickly go through this. And in this respect, especially for our friends that are not from Frankfurt and Germany, maybe also to give a bit of context how the current policy stance in Germany have to be interpreted. The first is, I think, this, this government is now under pressure to a degree that they hadn't expected. So they need to do and find solutions to problems that they had seen in, to some degree, but not in that strong way. Um, so while in the coalition agreement you find elements on why we need energy reforms and why you need to have more renewable energy, why electricity is so important in order to uh, to go and do the the, the 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 shift to more renewable and and uh, carbon neutral uh, energy, uh, they are faced in particular since February with a lot of pressure and uh, and 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 have to take a lot of domestic decisions, which of course means that there is a lot of political capital bound in problem solving that is not spent on finding sort of more visionary or strategic solutions and which makes European politics a bit less uh, prominent. And that means that, of course, also in terms of communicating, thinking of European partners, there is instinctively a focus on let's first solve the problems on the doorstep rather than think and communicate with the, with the uh, other partners to, in a more successful or more collective way. So I think that's one, one important point. The second point, um, there is a strong focus on security issues. And in security, you have to see that Germany has gone already a long way. So especially the two parties among the three parties that are, um, that are in, in, in government. So for the Social Democrats and the Greens, but in particular for the Social Democrats now to call for a strong army and for a strong investment in, uh, in armament is quite a long way. Um, and so the focus on security is the one that, that binds, again, a lot of political capital at the moment. And also, the, you would probably need to concede that, uh, that on the sanction side, Europe is actually presenting itself rather united. So in that respect, the German government goes along with a, a the sort of a strong stance and united stance on, on the sanctions. But there are two fields uh, which are currently debated that are inherently difficult. And the most prominent one is energy. And I think what, what haunts us here on energy is this is a policy field that has been long left to national discretion and national government choices. So you have a field where, which has been very weakly Europeanized over the last decades. And national choices have been very different. I mean, Germany decided to leave nuclear power and to, to do its own way uh, of energy mix and including uh, the full, full reliance on cheap Russian gas. And on the other hand, you had other countries that, that, that very much went the nuclear way. And so I think the, the, what we see now is fighting an immediate crisis, an immediate pressure of higher prices. And at the same time, you need to Europeanize a field that has, uh, has so far been not very much Europeanized. And uh, if you look at this from this perspective, actually, the Commission has done quite a bit. So with the emergency article 122, they, are, uh, they have uh, th three key pieces of legislation. And, um, and, and so to, to a certain extent, we are transforming this energy field already 
uh, in a rather uh, quick or in a rather speedy process. Of course, there are, due to these national choices, real dif divergences. And the, I'm happy to come back to the discussion on price gap that we saw uh, over the last weeks and again this week. The second point is fiscal integration. On fiscal, I mean, I think we need to be clear that the NGU, so this big program for next generation EU, was really exceptional in the boldness of the step that was taken. So by, by the standards, in a way, of the last 20 years, it was really a remarkable stand. So if you take this, so the exceptional to the rule, in a way, as a benchmark, of course, we are, we are seeing uh, not much further progress, but, um, but, but, but there is clearly, I mean, this is really a, a strong distributive uh, divides that, are, that, that Europe is facing there, both on the discussion on the fiscal rules and on, on Repower EU um, and a potential successor of, of NGU. Um, I'm happy to come back to this, but I think these are two fields that are very, have become very prominent, but these are also two really, as I said, really difficult policy fields where common, common integration is also not easy to achieve uh, uh, quickly. So now let me quickly go through the other factors that I think play a role here uh, in terms of, of maybe determining the, the more reluctant stance of Germany. So the, 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 the one is Scholz himself. Uh, and I think the leadership style of Scholz is more one of reluctance. And, and this goes also for the way that he was as a finance minister with the exception of, of, of the, the Corona crisis. So I think he is more of a reluctant politician um, uh, he sees himself, especially in these international meetings, more as a moderator that doesn't want to sort of pull people over and tries to find a solution in a sort of more consensual way, but, but certainly um, not, not wanting to, to take a strong leadership position. Um, I think this idea of German leadership does not come so natural for him. At the same time, the reluctance also means, I would, um, I would say, that he doesn't want to do certain policy choices that goes against his voter base. So in that respect, there is a close notion of let's be careful not to lose the population on certain decisions. So that, of course, doesn't chime well with the sort of sense of German leadership on taking bold European steps. Uh, but I think that's why Scholz plays a factor in maybe also, um, in also the German current stance. Next is what, is what is Scholz's coalition base? And I think here it's also important to recognize that, um, that these three parties are coming from different perspectives. Uh, and here in particular, one has to see that with the Liberal Party, of course, he has within his own coalition a party that doesn't have a super strong uh, European, uh, European kind of focus uh, at a time uh, when, especially when it comes to fiscal integration. Um, so, so especially during the time when they were in opposition, the, the FDP actually was rather critical towards the Grand Coalition's fiscal decisions on the European level. So Lindner is now spending a lot of political capital for more spending at the domestic side. He has very little political capital left towards his voter base and his parliamentary group to now be 
sort of going away from his party base on European issues, which of course means, and on top of that, the FDP are losing in uh, regional elections. So of course the government is 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 kind of position is also determined by coordinating with a party that sees itself very much under pressure uh, and is more reluctant to spend political capital on a very sort of ambitious European, European agenda. Next point is the Franco-German engine. And we already, we already described that the engine at the moment, in particular in October, had really a low point. And I think there are, there are also... I mean, in principle, one shouldn't overplay that that lack of uh, lack of uh, the, the the functioning or a lack of uh, power for this engine, but there are also there are factors that are explaining why we've seen these these the, the, these sort of problems in 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 bringing sort of Scholz and Macron together. One is, I think, also for Macron himself. Macron has lost uh, the legislature election, so he's more domestically focused. Than uh, than uh, what is uh, um, what has been the case in his first tenure as president. So he has a lot of more kind of domestic problems at hand. Um, the second is that some of the topics, and this corresponds again with this issue of uh, with the issue of uh, this the, the point on policy fields that are more national. Some of the issues it's just that the Ger the French and the Germans are coming from very different angles and uh, have very different economic stances. Um, and therefore, our, their positions are more difficult to square. Think, for example, on this dependence on the, on this dependence on, on on global trade, where which is much less of for the French than um, than for the Germans. And also, there is still an element of misunderstanding. So the French are very um, wary about Germany being too much oriented towards the East, while some of the German engagement uh, with the East currently is not necessarily because of forming new alliances. But because because they are under enormous pressure from the East, because the East feels that they are not uh, loyal enough in 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 expect accepting the the security threats, and they also feel betrayed by by this strong uh, pro-Russian or by a more pro-Russian stance uh, on gas that they took for years. So in that respect, I think. I think some of what is interpreted as a moving away from Germany towards the East is actually more, um, more a moderation that Germany takes vis-a-vis -vis the East than really a sort of a, a shift in focus uh, away from, from France. And then coming to my, uh, to my sort of final point, I think there is also um, still uh, an issue around the relationship probably or some of the relationship between Berlin and the Commission, also some of the dynamics between the Commission and the European Council, which probably could be improved further. Um, at the NGU case, when I say this is a prime case where further integration was possible as a reaction to the crisis, I think that was at a time when Merkel and von der Leyen really formed a close link. Um, and I, I don't see that yet uh, this kind of this close link between sort of Berlin and, and the Commission has been uh, re-established with the advent of, of, of Scholz. But pressure is up. I mean, basically, the election campaigns will start by the end of next year. And so the big steps on the legislative front need to be, need to be taken uh, within the next uh, 12 to 15 months. Uh, the fact that the Spaniards are taking over in the second half of next year, 
Uh, and afterwards, the Belgian is maybe uh, some hope or some positive prospect because these are experienced uh, euro area member states that, that could maybe uh, push um, the legislation uh, further. And with this tour de raison, I would like to, uh, to stop uh, maybe with the, with the open question of what are kind of what do I think could be like, what does the future hold in a way as by way of concluding? And I, I see some hope in the fact that the, the pressure on the German model and the European solution that it could entail um, is really something that could unleash a reflection within Germany that may push us a bit more into adopting European solutions. And if you think back 20 years ago, when Germany was seen as the sick man of, of Europe, um, you had, and you can think about the Hartz reform in different ways, but you had a turnaround of Germany that was, was, a, that, that was done within a short period. So maybe that kind of pressure on the German economic model will also unleash now a reflection that could potentially lead to more of a, a more pro-European stance. The second point is that I think the pressure from the global side the pressure on Europe to think more in a more united way uh, on economic topics, on security topics will be increasing massively. And so in that respect, maybe also that global pressure will also force for more unity uh, within, within Europe. And then maybe that could also translate into more of a Franco-German engine or a, or a bigger, bigger sort of uh, a coalition among member states towards more um, your more united stand uh, on the global scale. And with this, I would stop. Uh, I hope I was not too, uh, too quick in, in, in these points, but uh, it provided maybe a structure for debate um, now. And I'm looking forward to your questions. Thank you very much, Johannes. I think it was 30 minutes. That was good. It was full of contents. And I see also some people uploading. I see Anke uploading and others. So. I would like to propose that we start with a comments, question. Also, Noé is uploading, so probably also others. So thank you, thank you very much. Yves, as well, from Paris. So we have not only Lyon, but also Paris. I would propose uh, to, to have some uh, short intervention questions. Uh, and I have uh, Francoise. Uh, I see that you uh, have uh, the parole, Francoise. And Mark, après. So, Francois. Non, je, non, je, non, je, uh, I will speak later. It was a mistake. Was a mistake. Okay, then we have yeah. Mark. Okay. Um, just a, a question for you, Johannes. Is, um, this um, kind of poor relationship between uh, van der Leyen and uh, the Chancellor Scholz. How far does it affect the, the workings of the Commission and the, uh, the working uh, reason between, uh, I'd say, German government at large and uh, the EU Commission at large? Thank you, Mark. And I have Chloe. Yeah, thank you very much uh, for this uh, presentation. Do you think that when they put uh, the idea of uh, European federal states uh, in the coalition agreement, they had a plan on how to do it, 
or was it just uh, somehow a trade-off during the negotiation on the coalition? Uh, my question is also, do you think that all those crises coming and the, the world that's changing so quickly is somehow an excuse because they had no plan or it's just they have a plan and they will uh, adjust it and make it later? Thank you. I think Klaus has been answering yes to your, to your question, Chloe. So it's no, interesting no, no. that... Oh, sorry. I misinterpreted That was this, in uh, relation to what Luke had written. Had written ah, sorry, chat, sorry, 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 okay. sorry, no. Um, before giving the floor to, to Johannes, let's try to find, have a series of three, three questions. So is there a third one? Johannes, maybe I can try. Um, oh no, Paolo, please, please, Paolo. Thank you. Uh, thank you, especially thank you to Johannes for his very good uh, relation introduction uh, this evening. And uh, maybe this is a naive question, but I want to make it anyway. Uh, is there any discussion and which kind of discussion in case in Berlin about the idea uh, supported by the European Parliament and uh, partially by the Commission to start the procedure in the next months or next year, I don't know, of the reform of the treaty, European Union treaty, in order to achieve a more, <clears throat> let's say, sovereign, sovereign and maybe federal uh, um, Europe than today. Is there any discussion, any rumors, uh, uh, opinions uh, uh, in favor or against uh, this idea and uh, in which extent? So maybe Johannes, we have three questions. Can I give the floor back to you and then we restart the discussion? It, if you don't mind, so thanks a lot for these were great questions. Uh, and if you don't mind, I take it in the order, in the reverse order. So um, for me, it's also a bit of an adjustment or puzzlement that I think and I confess I'm also old uh, in the sense that I grew up with a, a or was socialized in, a, in an environment where there was a strong focus on treaty change. Uh, and I mean, Altur, uh, I mean, Spinelli had, had the group in the parliament where they even had a, a full uh, treaty, uh, treaty proposal and so on. So there was a time when I was socialized as a young federalist, so to say, of, of treaty change was really an option and that institutional change was a way of advancing Europe. And if you think about it, 87 single European act, Maastricht treaty 91, Amsterdam treaty, Nice treaty, and then convention and constitution. And then the convention, constitution, then we had enlargement, the convention became the Lisbon treaty or the constitution became the, the Lisbon treaty. And since then it stopped. We are in a reality where treaty change doesn't seem to be an option any longer. There are so many veto players. And when we did slight adjustments to the treaty, it was um, basic to, to allow, for example, with the ESM treaty, to allow for a solution outside the treaties. So I think that's really a, a rather fundamental question of whether this kind of development since the Lisbon Treaty is one that we need to accept. 
um, or is is one that um, that uh, uh, is one that uh, that will change? Of course, you can ask. Yeah, but you need to do a treaty change only if there is a good reason for a treaty change, and you need to debate the de de debate around a big new project rather than uh, rather than 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 treaty change for its own sake. But you you do have, of course, some calls for qualified majority voting on the issue of of, of issuing debt uh, in a more uh, kind of permanent way that some people are calling for treaty change or health as a, as a responsibility. So, but that's the question. And here, I would say what is interesting is that in, in a way, here comes where the coalition agreements docked on. And here, if you read the coalition agreement, what it says is the conference sollte in eine verfassungsgebenden Konvent münden und zur Weiterentwicklung zu einem föderalen europäischen Bundesstaat führen, der dezentral auch nach Grundsätzen der Subsidiarität und Verhältnismäßigkeit organisiert ist und die Grundrechtekarte als Grundlage hat. Sorry, this was a long German set, uh, sentence. But what, what it, it's good to listen to it carefully because it means that that was a common ground between the three. So, so and that is, is remarkable, but it's also really linked to institutional change and it didn't really specify yet what did they want to achieve with the treaty change except for this long-term aim of a federal European Bundesstaat and then there is the caveat but that is decentrally organized. Um, so, so in that respect I, what I would say is that um, it is remarkable on the one hand but at the same time it is not um, it was not combined with a fully fledged European agenda that really sort of that really was was wanting to implement a quantum leap in, in, in the integration. But it is interesting that 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 still this sort of consensus was was um, was achieved. Now, if you look at how is this implemented, Germany is pretty alone um, in 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 pushing for this in the council. Um, the French are a bit more open here because the, uh, the idea of a conference on the future of Europe was really a French idea. But, but I mean, how likely is that we will have a convention? Uh, I'm, I'm doubtful, at least when it comes to the Council. The only way that we could have a treaty change debate is by a popular vote in the European elections. And so if you want that to be on the agenda, you need to uh, be active in your respective parties and say, look, we would want you to campaign on the notion that if I'm as a Spitzenkandidat are voted and will be the next commission president, I will push for a convention to take place. And that could then be, and ideally even connected with certain kind of ideas and, and concepts, and that could be a, creating a momentum. So that's also my in a way, my answer to the second question, did they have a precise plan? As I said, I think this was a compromise, a compromise on the specific issue of institutional reform with the very long-term aim of a federal Bundesstaat that was already caveat in the second half sentence. So it's not a fully fledged, um, it's not a fully fledged agenda. And I think some of the misunderstanding also after the Scholz speech in, um, in February was that when he spoke about Zeitenwende, so turning point, people thought this was this meant that he had a program in mind that he would then implement, not only for security, but also for European policies. And that wasn't the case. He was describing the fact that there was a the turning 
in the situation, but not necessarily immediately an agenda that they would be implementing. And now on the issue of the Commission and Germany, of course, this is also policy issues related. Um, it's just that I, I sense that on some issues and, and there is sort of less of a proximity between the Commission and uh, Germany uh, than, than may have been, um, and I'm looking here particularly on the fiscal and financial files that has, done, has been there uh, at, the, at the, the early time for, for von der Leyen. So some of the discussion now on the reform on the fiscal rules and, and so on, you see a little bit still this, this, this slight sort of critical view, ah, too much power to the commission, who knows how the commission, the French are lobbying the commission a lot and so on. So, so in that respect, um, I just detect that there is, is less of a proximity than, than has been at the beginning of, of von der Leyen's, um, von der Leyen's um, tenure. Thank you very much. I have um, Antonio, by the way, uh, Johannes, Antonio is Tomaso's brother. So you have ah. been working... You have been working with, uh, with Tommaso for many years, and yeah. Johannes is one of uh, Tommaso Padioschiappa's most closest uh, uh, staff. Thank you. I have lowered. No? Please, please, you have the floor, yeah. Antonio. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to, to listen to what Johannes has explained so clearly about the difficulties that are hard in this moment. I want to, to pose a question. Uh, if there is any chance and how should it uh, possible to, uh, to have uh, a part of the large amount of money that Germany has put on, on defense uh, that at least one quarter should uh, could be devoted to the to the European directly to the European budget because uh, of course that makes a huge difference. It should be really uh, the the the. Uh, the consequence should be that everyone should be convinced that. Uh, the the the, poly, the policy that Schultz is uh, uh, devoting to to common defense, I am convinced that he he wants to do that, uh, will be uh, made uh, on the the European uh, perspective directly by European perspective. My opinion is that also. Uh, the, a, a quarter of the national defense budget of Italy, of it, uh, every European country should be uh, transferred uh, to the European level. And that is the, the right moment for that. Uh, of course, uh, uh, that could be made also by a quarter of uh, extra budget uh, as has, has been uh, made uh, with uh, um, with uh, pandemia politics, and and it is, uh, in, in my opinion, it is clear that 
devote European resources to investment is quite different from devoting uh, to, to help national debt that could in any case never be made. Uh, so, um, in fact, uh, what Scholz has said in Prague uh, goes perhaps in this direction. Mm. But I should uh, ask Johannes if he thinks that this is possible. And the same could be, um, uh, could be suggested for investment in energy, uh, not in not uh, national investment, but European investments, uh, especially in, in Africa, that is the future of Europe is largely Africa, the uh, policy toward Africa. What do you think could be the German attitude in, in this respect? Thank you. I mean, Johannes, yeah. maybe I, yeah. I, I, I can add another question and then yeah. I would give the floor to you. This is a bit from, from, uh, from me. You are referring to the moments in which Germany's model is under pressure. I remember three of them. It was a couple of years after the German unification, Germany discovered that it was not going fine. Uh -huh. And um, the, the economy was over, uh, the country was overeating. And one of the reasons why it was overeating is because Germany has taken the task alone. And the response was the Bundesbank increasing the interest rates and breaking the exchange rate mechanism. Yeah. Uh, a few months later, Italy was out of, uh, of the ERM, like um, the UK, and we have lost 10 years. Mm -hmm. The second moment was what you were referring to, no? the years in which uh, Sabine Christiansen was telling to all the Germans every Sunday that Germany was dead. And there was the reaction of uh, um, uh, Schroeder. But basically, Schroeder arranged an internal devaluation yeah. and uh, killed uh, in one stop uh, uh, a large portion of the Belgian, the French, and the, the Italian industry. And now there is, uh, so to speak, what is happening now, that's true that Germany is under pressure and the reaction has been national. Okay, 200 billions uh, there, 100 billions there. Don't you think that Germany is not used to make positive use of Europe when it is under, under pressure? It's trying to take the solution alone, perhaps in good faith. Good faith, because they think that if they solve the problems in Germany, it would be good for Europe. But they don't have the instinct that Europe can be useful for them. And they give the floor to Klaus, and then we have three questions, and we give the floor to you. Klaus. Yeah, I would like to know from Johannes, uh, there was a question in that direction, but a little bit more in detail. Who is discussing in Berlin, in the government circles and in the Bundestag, who is discussing about European Union right now? There is a bunch of ministers or state ministers, state secretaries, all kinds of stuff uh, that are in the government in charge of European affairs. Also departments in the different ministry, economics, uh, foreign affairs, and so on and so on. 
Is there a discussion about European Union in these circles? Um, are there other discussions in Berlin, in political circles, in circles of people who are interested in Europe, about Europe, um, and who is participating in that? Uh, if I look at the other day, two days ago, the youth organization of CDU, um, which is, I think, still the biggest German party. I'm not really sure. Maybe they're lost against I don't know. Uh, their youth organization came and they made some declarations and there was not one word, uh, that whole Congress, there was mm -hmm. not one word discussed about Europe. Um, and CDU used to be a party that was pushing for European integration. So... Uh, And, and that's one point. And the other point is, yes, the German model is under pressure. And I think if I remember that very well, that was the beginning of European Union, that the German model was under pressure a couple of decades ago. Okay. And um, since then, we know that uh, we have to take care and deal with European integration. And that is the agreement that was made between the people at the time and also later. And um, of course, there are crises, uh, but the point is the political art, isn't the political art to be able to act despite crises and to have a strategy to try to get to go? Because otherwise we are running only from one crisis to, to another. That is not exactly leadership. That is not exactly showing the people the way. And what can we do about it here in this group of European Federalists? So, Johannes, you have the floor. Or is that train? Or is that train on Europe? Has it already left the train station in Moscow, uh, in, in Berlin, and said bye bye? Because that's what I wonder. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, these last three questions were hitting, <laughs> hitting the the key. I mean, was really hitting the the core issues, uh, uh, like a hammer to the nail, head of the nail. So, and of course. I don't have the the panacea or the, the, the miracle solution to that. I I think um, I think a lot has to come around framing the debate. Um, and and I think one interesting concept to look and watch out about is this issue of leadership. So you may have seen Lars Klingenbeil gave this speech on Führungsmacht, so how he would interpret uh, Germany, uh, German, the German, the Zeitenwende for Germany on security issues. But he also spoke about Europe and uh, calling for sort of a Germany as a Führungsmacht, and uh, that will be a very interesting uh, discourse and, and, and question to look out for. In to what extent is Germany willing to defend its interests um, and be sort of the leader also against uh, maybe some of some of the stances of other mem member states and pulling them along along. Um, but the key point, of course, in that for that question is how are the interests defined and how could one make sure that if such a leadership was really desirable and this is an open question um that 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 this leadership was for uh european interests rather than 
singular or short, maybe short-sighted national interests. Um, and here is a contrast with the French. The French are, are often willing to very much say, look, the, well, the French president, we take leadership. And sometimes these interests are not so European or they're dressed up as European and national. But still, this sort of attempt and, and endeavor to say we need to immediately think in European solutions um, uh, is more um, is is more kind of immediate. And so, so I think what I would say is, is a point is how to get a debate started around this notion on, of leadership um, and how you can define interests, German interest as, as European interest and seeing this, um, and seeing this as, as, as the kind of motivation for, for taking a stronger role uh, in Europe. And for that, and you asked the question of, of uh, Klaus on, on, on where are, the, are these debates taking place and Francesco to a certain extent as well in Berlin, Yes, they are, but not to the extent yet which I think they should take place. And one of the reasons is that there is still very much a crisis mode. Um, uh, so where probably there is still a focus on finding immediate solution and maybe less so the more longer term ones. Um, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of coordination going through. We are now in a three-party government. So there, when you look at how government positions are taken, it's really a lot of internal coordination that takes place between the ministries, between the parties. So I think there's also a lot of focus on the now. Um, but at the same time, I think these debates are starting. And as I said, on security, they are more advanced. Uh, and there, there has been now debates on, and, and Germany has already, and some of the parties have taken a long, I mean, have gone a long way. But on the European agenda, that debate is not yet so advanced. And I would hope it would, will, will, take, uh, will take place. And that is a bit also the issue um, that, the, Francesco, that you said, look, is this instinctively uh, doing it alone? I don't think it has to be that way. But one would need to kind of try to push the debate in Berlin a bit further. Uh, and some of the elements is also how to communicate better. I mean, the 2000 to 200 billion of the Germans is also, I mean, let's be fair, it's not drastically different from, from what the French have done, but it was just done completely alone and not, not really communicated very well. And, and so, so in that respect, I think um, two, two, two things that I said in the conclusion makes me a bit more hopeful. I think that the, the, the adjustment of the German model has to be one that looks a bit more into the single market. So already you had a bit of that with the, um, with the outsourcing towards the Eastern. I mean, so, so part of the, <clears throat> the internal, what you call internal deliberation was also there was a lot of outsourcing towards the Eastern European uh, members, then member states, as well as to China as an export uh, um, as field, of course. But there was also that element of outsourcing. Um, and, and, and so in that respect, I think like understanding the potential of the single market uh, more and looking at where, what are the, the, the possibilities and opportunities within the single market and uh, are, are, is, is, is one one hopeful one avenue that could be pursued further and the second one is the pressure which i said in the conclusion is the pressure on on europe in terms of uh having unity 
for, for being a player at the global stage. And I think what is becoming increasingly clear is that in this uh, competition between China and the US, Europe will play no role whatsoever if it is not working together. And so hopefully that is another point that also will then for the German government uh, create the, the understanding that they need to be part of a unifying force and not retrenching towards, uh, towards national solution. And that brings me back uh, to this question on, on um, army and energy. And let me also echo a bit what Francesco was, uh, has said. I, I, I mean, when I was starting as a young expert at the central bank, Tommaso Padascapa has been a towering figure for me, uh, the way that he took us young young um, central bankers under his wing was uh, and and inspired us was was absolutely unique and um, and in that respect I'm very very glad and happy to 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 answer to your question and and to see in you also the spirit and uh, and some of the expression that I've seen that uh, with Tommaso Paraschiopa and I think on the on the defense that is there is a lot moving I think there will also still be a lot of rebalancing between the French and the Germans, because I think the French are hoping that German uh, engagement in security and defense means that we will take French solutions. And I think that may actually also need a bit of, of rearrangement. I mean, the whole, uh, the, the, uh, um, uh, the new security system on the uh, air defense uh, was quite a friction because the French felt that the Germans were doing this with other member states, not thinking of a French solution first. But I think where I'm I'm almost a bit more hopeful for the more immediate steps is, is the energy and climate. And here, uh, let me refer to a speech by uh, the member of the executive board in the ECB from the 11th of November, very recently, you find it on the ECB website, where he really made the case for an investment agenda uh, and for the point that the public good, like climate protection and energy security should be done at the federal level, at the central level of, of, a, of a union and not decentralized at, at the national level. And, and also he demonstrates how with climate uh, change, there needs to be a, a, a combined and joint investment agenda. So in that respect, I hope that's triggering and the pooling of sovereignty for that is, is even more evident Although I would agree with you from an intellectual perspective, the pooling of sovereignty on the army uh, and the, the, the defense and security realm should be as evident as for the climate. But I'm, I still think that sovereignty concerns are probably even still stronger on, 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 on pooling, uh, pooling, uh, pooling uh, armies and, and security. Thank you. Thank you. Anna, you, I see you have raised your hand. Can you we hear, can hear you? Yes. Okay. I um I have a very bad uh, internet connection. I sometimes um, do not really hear. I don't. Um, uh, thank you, Johannes, for for this um, really excellent analysis of um, uh, the the EU policy um, of 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 Germany and um, the perspectives and so on. Um, I would like to come back um, to the to the coalition treaty, uh, the passage on the federal state. I think it was very strong and it received um, much applause also from us as uh, European federalists. Although in our um, press release, we were quite cautious with the federal state. Coming from Germany, um, having been brought up with these uh, in, a, in federal structures, for me, um, 
there is no problem um, with federalism uh, at European level because um, I think it would be from an institutional point of view um, also a solution. So if we uh, are discussing um, <clears throat> that further policy fields uh, should would it would make sense to have them as energy um, uh, defense and so on at European level? I think the institutions have um, also to as a European at, at, at European level have also to to grow in in um, in in view of their competences. And I I I um, t tell me if I'm mistaken in the understanding what you said. Um, and this was for me a little bit disappointing. That um, you you said that um, the concept of the German uh, coalition pa uh, parties uh, uh, behind this um, this long term objective to um, to 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 go for a federal um, state um, there is no that that there is not yet um, a, a real concept behind this this was for me a bit um, disappointing um, because I had expected personally more um, and. And I think we should, um, if there is no concept, maybe this is also a possibility for us as European federalists to, to fill, to help to fill, um, this notion, um, with a concept. So, um, for sure, um, a federal, um, a federal, um, state at European level, uh, for sure, it does not mean the German system, the German federal system at European, um, transferred to the European level. Um, but, but I think here we can, as um, as UEF, together with the sections, play a role. Because, and I, one sentence, and then I stop. Because what I see um, in in our organization with all the different um, sections, um, the background uh, really plays a role. Because how people perceive uh, the notion of federalism, this is this I find very interesting. And here um, maybe we can as as UEF, uh, dig a little bit more into it. What, what, how do we um, see um, a federal state? Thanks a lot. Thank you, Anna. I see Klaus has raised hand. And uh, I wanted to ask Francois, you wanted to speak before. Do you want to ask? A no? no, sorry. Yes, Klaus. Um, this talking about the German leadership, I wonder where this should come from from years of intelligent economic policy. I'm not sure about that. From a good policy that has been done over the decades regarding European Union, bringing everybody together. Uh, where is this leadership? Where would this leadership be rooted? That being the biggest country and sitting in Berlin. Um, and particular, and if there would be a German leadership, uh, but if it is something centralized, that won't work. We, we are mm -hmm. sure about that. And we are here in the context of the European Federalists. And mm -hmm. the Federalists are strongly linked to the community method. And we know that the community method is a completely different way of working than this fighting of governments against each others. Uh, and shouldn't the European civil society, and as Anna just said, that European Union of Federalists shouldn't be take kind of our responsibilities as the citizens who are really the society. I would like to remind you the politicians are our employees, uh, nothing else. Uh, the, and I repeat that the politicians are our employees 
and we are the civil society, the owners of the society, if we do not have a concept um, for our society, if we do not have a concept for our future, how can we expect that the employees are doing this in a way that is working for us? I mean, if you compare that in, in business, it would not work, you know that. If, employee, uh, if owners of a society are not interested, uh, somebody will take care of that business, uh, but not in the interest of those owners. So I think we have to come back to, to this. We have to really take responsibility on that. How do you see that? And, and is there, and from your point of view, what could be done by, by UF in that context? I wanted to check, is there any other third question? Is not the case for the moment. So Johannes, I give it to you and maybe if you wish, you could also uh, reflect more generally of the discussion today. Mm. And before finishing, I have to give the floor back to Nohe, who is going to announce the next meeting. But I give the floor to you, uh, Johannes. Yeah. And by the way, many, many thanks for having been with us. Uh, I personally found really a, a nice opportunity to talk. Yes. Great. No, thank you very much. Let me, let me just quickly... Um, Again, very good questions. Um, I mean, and I'm taking them together. I think the next European election will be very, very important. And I mean, in 19, we collectively managed to at least turn the populist, uh, populist trend and the uh, participation downwards trend uh, around. Um, which which was already an achievement. Um, so so I think I, I think here going one step further and saying, look, let's make these elections really more around a new Europe or a, a further integrated Europe and and really show alternatives. I mean the the uh, Europe of the ECR, where Meloni, the peace, uh, uh, the peace uh, uh, party from Poland, and, uh, and 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 probably Orban now that he's left the EPP, um, uh, is 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 at home. That's a that's a notion of Europe that's very different from a more integrated notion. So let's try to get these differences out and debate it. And I think. The hope, of course, is that that kind of debate will also generate this, this kind of dem democratic discourse that is needed for politicizing and also legitimizing European decisions. Um, because, of course, the key point for European, more European competences is also that people see this not only as more effective, which is an important point, but also that the results are legitimate. And for that, you need a strong European parliament, but that is also seen as the voice of the citizens on top of the national governments. And so, so I think the notion of a Spitzenkandidat and the link between the European elections to the policy agenda of the commission president are all elements that try to do this, sort of to have elections around the European parliament as moment of expressing clear preferences for one way or another. Um, and, and I think that's why also contributing to this campaign and making these choices uh, explicit um, 
are, are maybe the way forward. And there, the, 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 the European uh, Federalists could play a role. And I think also, if you look at, at the Prague speech of Scholz, this notion of extending QMV are, are quite, could be quite a, an, an important institutional topic to, to push further and to say, we cannot enlarge further if we don't solve that problem. Um, and so in that respect, I think that could be another kind of example where you have even in the German government stance some hooks that could could be could be extended uh, could be extended further. Um, I think the issue, I, I, Klaus, I fully take your point on on the uh, fully take your point on the community measure, uh, method versus a, a sort of intergovernmental leadership. And I'm also still struggling a little bit uh, with this notion of leadership, but there is a, um, but, but I would take what Francesco said, a, a Germany that is not leading is probably and possibly more problematic than a Germany that is leading, but with the European interest in mind. So that's a bit the, the kind of, puzzle I find um, when, where I think probably more reflection needs to be taken um, but I would I would think I would think that that's something that is uh, that one would need to to look in a bit, a bit more that should not be at the expense of the institu EU institutions but it should be enabling uh, more of a compromise and more of a forward-looking agenda rather than sitting back and looking at national solutions which then naturally would prevent a more European uh, focused solution and, and more integration. Um, I'm afraid I probably have not done justice to these very good questions, but this would be probably by take. And that also gives me quite a bit of food for further thought. Um, and, and I would be looking forward to, to continue the dialogue with you bilaterally at, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open for, for further discussions. And uh, I thank you all for having invited me. Thank you very much, uh, Johannes. I wanted also to say and speak under the control of Klaus that uh, uh, this uh, excellent discussion is, is placed now in the net. Uh, it will be possible to, to see it. It will be also possible to forward it uh, and to, to make sure that our friends uh, uh, can see it. Many, many of them were not able perhaps to participate today, but I, I, I think it's very interesting. You will find it uh, in, the, in the website of, uh, of the European Union Frankfurt. Uh, and uh, and from there, please be 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 willing to 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 distribute it to how many people as uh, as possible. Francesco, we have yes, we have a link tree which we have a link tree which is on our Instagram profile, and the link tree is also on the web page, which is just europaunionfrankfurt.org, one word all together. And on that link tree, you will have the link to our uh, YouTube uh, channel. And on YouTube, you can just listen to it. Uh, you don't even have to look, of course. You just like 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 a podcast. And we'll post it also on Facebook. Same thing uh, on Facebook. You can just listen to it. You don't have to look to it while you're sitting in the train or whatever. Thank you. Thank you very much, Klaus. But I think try, try to distribute it because it may, may be a, a matter of... Uh, of discussion in our in our sections in our in our chapters. 
And now I would like to give the, the floor to Noé, who is uh, telling us about the next one. And thank you very much, Johannes. Thank you, Jonas, and thank you, uh, Francesco. Um, indeed, um, I want to speak for um, of, uh, our next event, which will be held uh, Wednesday, 14th of uh, December. It will speak about uh, the energy issue from uh, local to European level. Uh, so as you, um, I put the link on the description so you can access the, the registration and all the information. Um, it will uh, speak about supply challenge, competition between the EU member states and how to uh, go forward to a European energy uh, policy. So the discussion will be held in French, but you are uh, all welcome to participate uh, if you speak French or even not, but it will be less interesting for you to understand the, the discussion. Um, so, uh, yeah, we will be really happy to, to have a new uh, European uh, discussion uh, and not to stay uh, in a French event with only French people because it will not be uh, really uh, federalist. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Noé. And just to say that in our meetings between uh, uh, Frankfurt, Milan and Lyon, we have been also speaking of other possibilities. Uh, we will contact uh, Finance Watch uh, to, 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 to see whether their chief economist, uh, uh, who is also very strong pro-European uh, personality, uh, will want to tell us what he thinks European citizens could do uh, for their own benefit in terms of building up a financial sector which is more, uh, let's say, citizens-friendly. Uh, and uh, the other things which we were thinking was the French, uh, help of the, our French friends. Uh, there is a, a French philosopher who is called Céline Spector, uh, who has been writing really excellent things about... Uh, uh, about uh, the, the concept of uh, uh, European democracy, European policy, and uh, she has been uh, authored also a very nice book, which I would recommend everybody, which is called uh, No Demos. Uh, and uh, we will try to see whether we can win her for one of these discussions. I don't know whether, whether Noé or Paolo or Klaus, do you want to say or look anything else? No, thanks. Just, just to thank everybody, of course, Johannes first. Francesco, last remark. Uh, I think there is this professor in Hamburg. She is an emeritus. I, uh, sorry, I forgot the about chair. Yeah, that's fine. And she is specialized in doing research on how European Union came together. Uh, I have met her already. She told me that uh, the European movement was really crucial in the beginning and they pushed the politicians. They even wrote the first papers. Uh, and I think we should invite her to learn yes. from her uh, because, all right. And I, so, I guess this is also interesting and then we, maybe we can learn from her how what we can do <laughs> looking at what happened in the past, okay? So I think we have been together one hour and uh, 15 minutes. Uh, I think at least for me it was a great pleasure. And now I would like to wish all of you a nice evening. And uh, you will uh, uh, hear further from us with the next meetings. And of course, first of all, the one which uh, 
no hair has just announced. Thank you. Bye bye. Have a nice evening mm -hmm. and thank you. Thank you very thank much, Johannes.